Well, I was thinking this week, maybe, maybe you've seen this week or the last couple weeks posts on, on Facebook or on whatever social media you use. Uh, I know one, a couple popped up this week for me of, of a, a performance that was on the America's Got Talent, or maybe you saw it on the show itself, but there was a young gal um, in her 30s who uh, is walking through her third bout of cancer. Uh, maybe you heard that story, and this is the second time she's walked through a time where she's been told she only has 2% chance of living, and maybe only three to six months left in her life, and in that she, she sang, and her name, was, uh, her name is Jane Markowski, and she goes by the name Nightbird as she sings, but she sang the song, and just everyone was moved by the performance and then this week I saw an article um, from the Gospel Coalition, and it pointed to the fact that she is a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's where her hope lies. And I've been thinking about her, and I know um, and reading some things from her that she has cried out in desperate prayers to the Lord, just crying out to Him for healing, and she's walked through these different things. And during her second bout of cancer, her husband of five years decided that he was done with the marriage and left her in the midst of, of her wrestling with cancer. And she just cried out to the Lord. And this is a quote from one of her more recent blogs that said, I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land. But instead, he let them wander, answered, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night, and every morning he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for answers to prayers that I didn't pray. And you can just think of, of her. I'm sure that her prayers are just more desperate than maybe some of us have ever felt before. And She's come to realize that sometimes the Lord answers but he answers in different ways and she's expecting and answers different prayers and, and yet she still wrestles with the Lord in desperate prayer and calls for, for rescue and healing. The Psalms, they're full of prayers of just crying out to God and they give us models of how we are called to pray and where to be a people of prayer. I was reading this week in a, a book on prayer where it talked about for a Christian, breathing, breathing prayer is like breathing. It should be like breathing... And the good thing in that is that you don't have to be an expert to breathe, and you don't have to be an expert to pray. And the Lord hears our our prayers. Even in weakness, we can pray as a novice, and the Lord comes and hears. And in this prayer we have of David, he's, he's crying out to God. He's crying out to God to come and bring refuge to him. We talked about last week in Psalm 16 that God is a refuge, the one we're to run to. And here David runs to the Lord for refuge, and he calls out to the just God. He calls out to the God who's full of of that steadfast love. Remember in Ruth, we talked about that Hebrew word, hesed, that means that loyal, steadfast love. He cries out to God for that love to be shown. He calls out for deliverance, and we'll see that David, his attack is coming from enemies that are bringing attack upon him. And he brings even an argument before God. He just brings these different things. He's pleased before God and he reasons with God and just argues before God. And a question might come to your mind as it did to mine is why would David even bring an argument of of just plea for God to answer? 
Why would he have to detail things? It's not like he needed to inform God. God knew everything, and God knows everything. So what is going on here? Why is he bringing this case before the Lord when the Lord knows all things? And I was helped by a statement from James Montgomery Boyce. Maybe you're familiar with him. He was a pastor at the 10th Presbyterian Church in in Philadelphia for many, many years. And he said this in regard to Psalm 17. So that David, he doesn't merely ask for what he wants or needs. He argues his case, explaining to God why God should answer. And this is something that preachers in earlier days used to urge their members of their congregation to do. Charles Haddon Spurgeon often did this. They recommended arguments, not because God needs to be persuaded to help his children. He does not. But because arguments force us to carefully think through what we are asking and to sharpen our request. I think that's true here. We, we do not bring things to remind God of who he is and what he's promised, but we do it to remind our own heart that we might think deeply, that we might focus our thoughts, that we might sharpen our prayers And not, again, to remind God of who he is, but for us to be reminded in our own heart of who God is and what his promises are. And we see this as we walk through Psalm 17. And as we begin, first, David cries out in this prayer, and it's a prayer of innocence, of an innocent sufferer. So his first plea is, I'm innocent. So let's kind of walk through that little by little. This is Psalm 17, verse 1. It says, Hear a just case, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from my lips. My lips free of deceit. So he, he cries out, hear my just call, my just prayer. Hear me, listen to my prayer, my plea for justice. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer of innocence. And he cries these out to God. In the verse 2, from your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. So he cries out in confidence, and he says, let me be vindicated. Might that vindication, that exoneration, that declaration of innocence come down from you, come from your presence, God. And he cries out to God for that declaration. And then verse 3, you have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. So here... We see David is confident of his innocence and what God is going to find and what God has already found in him. He says, you've tried me. You've visited me. You've visited, you've interrogated me, you've tested me, and that's that word, refined. You've refined me, you've probed my heart, and you found nothing. And then David continues in verse 4 and 5, and he says... With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of violence. My steps have held fast to your path. My feet have not slipped. So here, David, beginning in verse 3 and then through this, he begins and, and says his confidence from his heart to his words to his works. He's been obedient. I've been obedient to your words. I've been obedient to the word of your lips. In the path of the Lord, I've set out to walk in it. I've sought to walk out according to your revealed will. So David here is saying from inward to outward, I've been obedient. I've been innocent in all of these things. And the question might come to your mind as it did to mine. Um, 
how does David pray like this? How does he come so boldly in regard to his righteousness and his innocence? And the question is, well, is David saying, I am sinless? Um, And we might ask, well, shouldn't David pray like Jesus said we should pray like the tax collector? Think of in Luke 18 where Jesus gave the example of the tax collector and how he prayed. This is Luke 18, 13. It said, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So is David, uh, is, he just compl- is he just claiming complete innocence? I think that's the question. A complete, maybe, sinlessness before God. And I don't think he's saying he's without sin. I don't think that is the case. But he's speaking in regard to a current circumstance that he is walking through. A current attack that's coming upon him. And he's saying, in this, I am innocent. There's another similar psalm, Psalm 7, where it's clear where there's a man even stated, a man named Cush, who's bringing an attack against David. And in it, David cries out, and he says that he is innocent. He prays to God for refuge, and he even prays that, God, discipline me if this accusation is right. But then he boldly prays and says that I'm innocent in this. So we see that this is more likely the case, is is there is attack from enemies upon him. And he's saying, I am innocent of this. Because we know David knew that he was not without sin. You think of Psalm 51, 1 through 4, that says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned. And yet, yet David here is calling to God for justice and deliverance from attack that he can find, that he's found himself blameless in. And I think we can understand that. We know and we are well aware of our own sin and our need for Jesus, and yet circumstances come upon us where we're accused of something where we know that we are innocent of it. And we can feel the weight of that attack. We can pray that the Lord would show us to be innocent in the situation, that God would be a just judge. One helpful thought I found is from a classic commentary on Psalms that you might be familiar with, with Derek Kidner. And he said this, If these claims sound extravagant. God himself could use such language of Job without for a moment implying his sinlessness. Remember of Job? Um, This is what God said of Job in Job chapter 1 verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on earth, blameless and upright, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? But even so, Um, in the midst of this, we do and we can be reminded that we come humbly before our God, knowing and being reminded on this side of the cross, we know that all of our righteousness rests in Jesus. And Jesus, really, he's the only one that could fully pray a prayer of complete innocence and sinlessness and innocence before God because he was fully innocent without sin, the righteous one. And it's because of Jesus 
and his righteousness given for us when he died on the cross, taking upon our sin and placing upon us his righteousness that we can even boldly pray and come before a holy God. It's through Jesus Christ. And we think of the words of Paul, that Paul recognized that his righteousness was from Jesus alone. And he wrote in Romans 5, 1 through 2, 1 through 2 this is, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, we have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 8.1, this is, there, there, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we can know those things because we are in Christ and we can come before our God. So we do come and we do and we should pray like the, the tax collector. We come with humility before Christ and we're reminded that God have mercy on me for I am a sinner. And we're even called, I believe, to examine our hearts when we come to him in prayer. I think of every time we take the Lord's Supper, we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and it tells us, calls us to examine our hearts and we should be a people that do examine our hearts as we come before the Lord. Even in a case when we, we are pleading for God to vindicate us in, a, in our innocence and we do need to have lives of repentance where we're always asking good questions like, am I holding on to anger that I'm not willing to let go of? Is there a forgiveness that I'm holding on to that I will not, I'm unwilling to give to another, that I'm withholding from another? Am I running to idols for refuge? They become my place of security and safety that I run to all these other things that they're what I go to first to find comfort. Or maybe we cry out, is the Lord calling me to do something that I just have been so unwilling to do and I need to do that. Or examine my heart. Maybe there's secret sin in your life where, where there is sin that you have hidden and outwardly you don't let anyone see it. But in closed doors there's sin that you're holding on to. We need to examine our hearts. But then we're reminded that when we do come to Jesus, if we turn from our sins and trusted in Him, again, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we can come with confidence before the throne of God and pray as David prayed. Think of Hebrews 4, 16, 16. It's because of Jesus that we can pray and act this way. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we see this, and David knew. He knew the Lord's grace and the Lord's mercy. Of course, he was on the other side of the cross, but he still saw God's provision of atonement and forgiveness through the sacrifices that were brought to the temple. And he knew of the mercy and the grace of the Lord. And he cries out in boldness to be exonerated from the trials that are coming upon him by enemies. And then verses 6 through 9, we have this prayer rooted in the character of God. So he is, his cry, his plea to God is rooted on who God is. And he says, I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my prayer. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. So he cries and lifts up his prayer to God to hear, to listen, to hear his prayer, and for him to show his wondrous, steadfast, amazing 
faithful love. And he calls out for God because he knows he's a God who is full of steadfast love. And again, that steadfast love, that's that Hebrew word hesed that in Ruth we talked about a lot and we came to define as that loyal, stubborn, faithful, steadfast, sacrificial love. And David knows that this is the love of his God, the one true God. And God is marked by hesed love, this faithful love. And he just asks for the Lord to display that wondrous, marvelous, loyal, stubborn, faithful, steadfast, sacrificial love to him. And David no doubt looks back to see how the Lord has been faithful to his covenants with his people and showed his love. And we're reminded too that we are brought in and we're brought near to the love of God through Jesus Christ and through his covenant love that he showed us in his death and his resurrection for us. And he has poured out his great undeserved, merciful, loyal, steadfast, stubborn, sacrificial love upon us when he died for us and then rose again. And even as we've talked about the last few weeks, Jesus says, abide in my love, abide in that love. So he calls for God to show his love. And he knows that that's who God is. This is another quote um, from, from Jane the gal that I mentioned who is walking through her third time through cancer. And she said this. This is in an interview where she had been declared cancer-free after her second cancer. And she said, I believe that God can heal in one instant. I also believe that no good thing does he withhold. So there was something God was growing in the field that is in me. And if God had pulled up all this hardship too soon... It would have pulled up all these miracles he has done in my spirit. Sometimes that is the steadfast love of the Lord, that he works through difficulty, doing a miracle in our spirit, growing us. So David prays. And then the second part of verse 7, he says, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. O Savior of those. So he cries out to God who's the Savior. He's the refuge that he runs to. Again, we saw that the psalm parallels some of Psalm 16. And Psalm 16 began with a cry of the psalmist of David. Preserve me, protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And David is running to God for refuge, and he knows that he's the God who rescues. He knows he's the God who rescued the, the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt and brought them out and brought them into the promised land. And David stands upon these truths of who God is and, and cries out to him to save. And then we see in verse 8, he says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. And maybe your translation, it translates the apple of your eye. It's speaking of the pupil. Maybe it even says that in your translation, the pupil of your eye. And David, he asks for the Lord to protect him. And he gives us illustrations of weakness and vulnerability. And this illustration of protect my eye. And there's a part of our body that's very vulnerable and can be injured. And if it's injured, I've never had a severe eye injury, but maybe some of you have. And it can be just really detrimental, I can only imagine. And that's why we wear safety glasses and goggles and it's even uh, state law, or different county laws, state laws and different things of glasses and at workplaces where you have to wear them. It's because our eyes are vulnerable and he sees himself as someone vulnerable. Then he says, hide me in the shadow of your wing. Again, the shadow of the wing is of a mother bird 
protecting vulnerable chicks and covering them and protecting them. And it's a common illustration throughout the Old Testament. You think of in Ruth, that that was one of the illustrations of, of Ruth, that she had put herself under the refuge of the wing of God. So there's these two pictures of, of vulnerability, of seeing his humility and his weakness and his need for God to protect him, to be his rescue, his refuge and his safety. And he's a God who protects the weak and the vulnerable. And and David knows that and he cries out to God to protect him. In verse 9, from the wicked who who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. So we begin to see what's going on. There's violent enemies who want to attack and surround and defeat him. And he's in a place of vulnerability. And we understand this need, I think. We, we've all been in different places of vulnerability and risk and attack. And, and a different, it might look different in different situations in our life. Or your situation probably looks different from mine. But we understand those times where we walk through trials and weakness and humility. And we become like those baby chicks that need to be, be covered and protected. We're vulnerable like our eye. We need the protection of a strong God. And we are people in need. Our strength and our wisdom is not enough. In times of trial and sickness and attack and sorrow, it becomes more clear how much we need a Savior who rescues us, the one who provides, and we need to be reminded of these things. And we need to be reminded of who God is and how in our vulnerability He is a God who is a rock and a fortress. Even maybe by way of application, this summer, take some time to look in the Psalms. Just read through them, and as you read, think about the ways that God is described, and maybe circle them, be reminded, oh, God is a rock, God is a refuge, God is a protector, He is, he is as, uh, even as a hen protecting chicks, that He protects and cares, and just be reminded of who God is, so that we can stand on those promises, not to remind God of who He is, but to remind our own hearts of His promises, and we cry those things out. And then David, verses 10 through 12, we see this is a prayer in the face of great attack. So he's praying these things, and there is an urgency to what is going on here, and we see that in these verses here. Verse 10, they close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to to cast us to the ground. So he begins and he just describes these enemies and he says that they're, they're calloused in heart. The King James has a more literal translation that says they are enclosed in their own fat. And they believe that this is a, a metaphor of a callousness of heart. And they speak arrogantly and they're boastful and prideful. And again in verse 11, let me read that again. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking, lurking in ambush. So here, David's enemies are describing them as those who are coming to attack him. They're like a lion that is surrounding its prey, seeking to destroy and attack and to, to hunt David. And I don't, I don't know about you, if you've ever been hunted by by wild prey before, but um, one time many moons ago, I wish Kelly was here, she's with the kids today, but um, Kelly and I 
we hadn't been married all that long, and we were living in Kentucky, and we went camping. And um, it was at night. We had, it wasn't too long after we, we laid down, and it was dark, and so it was later, and it was in the summer. And then we began to hear ferocious <laughs> roars around us. And they began to, to surround us, and they got closer and closer, and they came from different angles of the tent, and uh, we were terrified. It ended up uh, being raccoons, but, <laughs> but we were freaked out, and um, I will spare all of the embarrassing details of this story, but we made it out alive. We, we made it out alive. But maybe you, you feel uh, currently, or you felt before, stalked by enemies, Maybe those enemies are enemies of anxiety. Maybe it's an enemy of sickness. Maybe even an enemy of cancer. Or maybe true danger from another person physically or emotionally or verbally. And you understand that attack. And you understand what that is like. And these are things that bring us to our end. And they remind us of our frailty and our need for the one true God. That we are not enough in ourselves. We need rescue. We need the rescue of Jesus. And he comes and he, he walks with us. And he walks beside us in this world full of attack and vulnerability. He is one that, who walked through that himself. Who was attacked. Who was arrested. Who was beaten. Who was killed. But then rose again to remind us that there is victory. So the Lord draws us near. This is one last quote from, from Jane. She said... I'm still reeling, drenched in sorrow. I'm still begging, bargaining, demanding, disappearing. And I guess that means I have all the more reason to say thank you because God is drawing me near, drawing near to me again, 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 no matter how many times he is sent away. She so just recognized that in that vulnerability that the Lord is coming near and drawing near to her. And I think that is true as we see this in the psalm. And then verses 13 through 14, we're kind of near the end here. And there's a prayer for judgment and defeat of his enemies. Arise, O God, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. For men by your hand, O Lord, for men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure. They're satisfied with children and they leave their abundance in their infants. So he cries, Arise! confront, subdue, deliver. And all of these things that David is crying for rescue and deliverance and a defeat of his enemies. And then the second part of verse 13 and 14, um, you may, maybe you have a different translation and you're like, my translation's a good bit different here. Maybe if you, as you look, even in your Bible, there's probably footnotes of different translations for this verse. This is one of those verses where in the Hebrew, it's just really challenging. There's some difficult words and wording, and so there's some vagueness to what is going on exactly in this verse. But I think it's best to, to understand that David is saying that his enemies, they've rejected God and will find their only reward here in this world with all that they filled their lives up with, with the wealth of this world, their children of the world, and the reward, um, ultimately, they're just going to leave all of this behind, and there's no hope, ultimately, for them. It's a little bit, I think, like when he studied through Ecclesiastes, if you remember Solomon, he talked about how 
all the wealth of the world that he had, but he recognized that it was all vanity and that when he died, he wouldn't take it with him and it would go probably to his kids who were going to squander it and just and make waste of it. And David here, he saw his enemies and in the end, their reward that they think they're getting is going to be empty. They've sought heaven on earth and that's the only heaven that they're going to get. Think of Psalm 16 last week, where in verses 2 and following, he said, You, O Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. In verse 4, the sorrow of those who run after, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And just as those who run after other gods, ultimately their end is just going to be sorrow. And we talked about how if we seek something other than God as a refuge, that refuge ultimately becomes just a grave for us. It's empty. There's no hope. There's no hope. And he sees that. that That's the ultimate end of his enemies. And then verse 15, he sees that that is not his end. That he has great hope. And there's this prayer of eternal hope. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So when he, he knows in the end, when he dies and he wakes, he's going to see the Lord. He's going to be able to see the righteousness of God. So David, he looks to eternity and he sees hope. He sees that there will not be loss. But he will be in the presence of God and he will find righteousness through the Lord God. And he will be with him. And there's hope and victory in the end. It's not the dismal hopeless end of his enemies, but that he has a hope in eternity. And we're reminded, too, of this psalm that, again, it points us to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who could fully pray as one who is innocent. And we know that our righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ and that through him, that he died and rose again, that we could be forgiven and his righteousness put on us, that we, could, we can and we will stand before a holy and a righteous God. And there is nothing, as we learn in Romans 8, right? Nothing that can separate us from the love of our God. And the Lord has drawn him near and there's great hope as he ends. It's a little bit how... Psalm 16 ended. If you remember how that ended, it ended in verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we can be reminded of that. We can pray and we can beseech our God and we can be reminded of all of who God is and we can bring our prayers boldly before our God because of the righteousness of Christ and be reminded in them that we have true hope, eternal hope in Him. And this morning, maybe you come and you're still wrestling through, um, where is my hope? Where do I seek refuge? And this morning, if you haven't ever turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ, this morning, maybe this is that morning that you need to, in prayer, come before Him and say, I'm a sinner, I need your rescue. Rescue me now from my sin, and Lord, may you be my shield in my life. My eternity rests in him. So I encourage you, if the Lord's even moving on your heart, to let one of us know, or in the car just marks in, you want to follow, follow Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for the Psalms. I always encourage these summers to walk through them together, and we thank you for these prayers that teach us how to pray. 
Lord, help our prayers to be those who are, that are focused and thoughtful, that we root them in the truth of who you are and the promises in your word, not to remind you, but to remind our own hearts, Lord. And Lord, help us to seek you as our refuge, seek you as our hope, to seek you as our life, I pray. Lord, may you, throughout this summer, even as we walk through the Psalms, remind us again and again and again of who you are. Remind us again and again of our desperate need for you, that we are not enough, that we are not strong enough, but that we need a Savior, we need a Rescuer who is willing and able, who loved us. So Lord, remind us of those things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we do come and we do...